Thanks so much, Dave. Good evening. So good to be with you all. Um, Claire really helpfully kicked off our series on shame a couple of weeks ago. If you haven't had a chance to see it, um, I'd really recommend it. So I'm kind of carrying on um, that tonight. And there's this quote by Brené Brown. I wonder if we can have it up. But just really kind of gets to the heart of, I think, what shame is and how painful um, it can be. But I met up with a friend um, earlier this week. And um, I was just saying, oh, you know, I'm preparing this talk on shame. And she just looked at me and went, ooh, that is the worst possible topic someone could ask you to speak on. And I was like, I know, right? But here I am. So um, it's interesting. We had this really interesting chat then about shame. Why is it so hard? Why don't we like to talk about it? What is it? Honestly, it was a really interesting conversation. But it was just so interesting that her reaction was immediately like, ooh, that's uncomfortable, isn't it? Um, and this quote here by Brené Brown, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. And I'm pretty sure that we've all at some point in our lives felt that. You know, maybe you're sitting here tonight and you feel that acutely or maybe you can recognise that at points in your life you have felt that. Now I want to take you back to the heady days of uh, lockdown and we're all at home and all our meetings suddenly go on to Zoom. Who can resonate with that? Yeah, some of you are probably like, yeah, my meetings are still on Zoom or on Teams. But I remember this, um, this Monday morning and we were having a staff meeting on Zoom and there were nine, you know, the little rectangular um, boxes and, you know, it started off, it felt a bit fun, didn't it? Like everyone came each week and you were like, oh, what virtual background are they going to have this week or what's going on? Someone's enhanced their eyebrows. What on earth is happening? Um, <laughs> this, these things happened. But after a while, you know, it got a little bit boring and a bit tedious. And I remember this particular um, staff meeting. We were just, you know, we processed a bit of what's gone on the day before, um, which is really helpful. And, and someone just made this comment about something I'd shared the day before. And to be honest, the comment was probably completely fair and accurate. Um, but unfortunately, I didn't receive it so well. And I remember sitting on my sofa at home with my cup of tea, because that was obviously the nice thing on the Zoom meetings, and um, just feeling like, oh, I just want the sofa to swallow me up. And I had this cup of tea, and I tried to hide behind it. I don't think I've ever tried to hide behind a cup. Highly ineffectual, because obviously I'm bigger than a cup. Um, so I remember just thinking, oh, this is horrible. I'm going to cry, but I can't cry up at the cup higher. And um, there's just these nine little screens. Now, the problem with Zoom or Teams is you can't hide, can you? You're just face onto the camera, and you, everyone can see you. And I think, um, I won't ask you to do this, but if I was to ask you in the room if you've ever turned your video off on a Zoom call or a Teams call, I'm pretty sure that quite a lot of us have done that. And I think I lasted about a minute, and then I turned my video off and had a little cry. So it's fine, because nobody could see. But I just thought, isn't it interesting that when we feel like we mess up or we get something wrong or we fail, we want to hide. Why? Why, why do we do that? Why did I do that on the Zoom thing? Or, you know, maybe for you that you don't relate so much to that, but you can relate to being in conversations and suddenly it just gets a little bit uncomfortable. You might be talking about something and you feel like, oh, this is just getting to a point where I, I'm not sure I want to go there. This feels a bit deep. And so you just kind of go into a bit of banter, a bit of bravado, just sort of push the conversation away because you don't want to um, go to that place in you that you know is a bit uncomfortable, so you'll try and avoid it. And I think probably we can all kind of understand that we don't like that feeling of being exposed or maybe something about us being exposed to others. Now, at this church, we run something called the Prayer Ministry Training Day, and we run it twice a year, and there's one coming up really soon on the 4th of March. And I came to it here 10 years ago, um, 
and I came because I really wanted to learn how to pray for people in the power of the Holy Spirit and how to minister to people and to get more confident, um, which I did. And it was a really amazing course for doing that. But what I wasn't expecting is that actually God really wanted to meet me in a powerful way that day. And so I ended up being prayed for. Um, and as the people prayed for me, I had this really powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit. And God did something and began something in my life that day that I am still seeing the fruit of 10 years on. I'm still on that journey of real breakthrough and real freedom from fear and anxiety. But at the end of that little moment of prayer, um, someone that was praying for me just said, it's now time to live out from under the shadow. Now, I don't know whether anyone's ever given you a prophetic word or you've been someone, someone shared something and you thought, I don't know what you mean. But it was one of those moments. It wasn't deeply profound. I just thought, that's odd. Um, and so I went home and thought, well, I'm, I'll write it in my journal. It's what I tend to do, try and like steward things and see what that means. And didn't really think anything of it. Anyway, over a period of about six weeks, I began to have some pretty amazing encounters with God just at home. And he really took me on this journey, um, which was bringing me breakthrough and freedom from fear and anxiety that had a huge hold on me for the first 30 years of my life. And what I want us to look at tonight is someone in the Bible who also had an encounter with God, which took them on a journey of bringing them out from under a shadow. Because I think when I think about a shadow, it's something that covers you, isn't it? But you're still there, but you're a bit hidden. And I think that sometimes the things with shame is that we can feel slightly inhibited or slightly covered by something, but not in a good way, in an unhealthy way that can cause us to hide. So the Bible passage we're going to look at tonight um, is in uh, the book of John. It's in John chapter 4. And a bit of context for this um, part in the Bible. So Jesus is traveling uh, through Samaria um, on his way to Galilee. And it's high noon, so it's the heat of the day. And he's resting um, from the extreme heat at Jacob's well. So a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then a bit later it says, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So <clears throat> the reason I want to look at this passage tonight is I think it's really significant as we think about what it is to come out of hiding. Now, Jews in Jesus' time despised Samaria, this region, and Samaritans. And they would actually walk six days, a really long way round, um, just so they didn't have to pass through that region. Whereas if they went through that region, it would only take three days. Um, and so Jesus' encounter at the well in John 4 is really significant because what he's doing is actually transgressing geographical, spiritual, um, and uh, cultural divides by choosing to go that way, by choosing to be in that place where he could have an interaction with a Samaritan. And he starts his conversation with this woman at the well by making himself quite vulnerable, by asking her a question. He asks her for a drink. Now, my children ask me for lots of things, a lot of drinks a lot of the time. And recently, I had this little moment where I was like, 
I could just ask them to go to the kitchen and make themselves a drink, actually. Like, they are now 11 and 8. I think that pretty much they can do that. But it's funny how you just get into a habit sometimes of just doing something for someone. And um, they asked me for screen time is up there, chocolate, and to stay up late. Those are the sort of main priorities, I would say, that when you're 11 and 8, you tend to have. Um, and... Uh, but as their parent, I feel like it's my job to discern actually what's best for them. So although that might be what they want, I know what they need. I know what their deeper needs are. So actually, I know they need to go to bed early enough so they're not really tired for school. Or I know actually they need to have a healthy diet, so I don't want them to have chocolate for breakfast, lunch and dinner, although they would absolutely love that, of course. Um, and I love this little bit of the interaction where, um, uh, yeah, where Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God... This is what you'd ask for. Actually, you need living water. He sees the real need beneath the present need. So she's at the well because obviously she needs water. But actually, he looks beneath the surface and he can see what she really needs. And he's not afraid to go there. He's not afraid to confront. But I think one of the difficulties with shame is that our real need, what we actually need, can be buried and hidden really, really deep down. Because actually, over the years, we've been stuck in some quite ingrained cycles of behavior that have become maybe even compulsive or are just default reactions, so we're not even aware that we do that. And so what I really want to do this evening, and my hope over the next sort of 15, 20 minutes, is just to unpack three things that I think can help us to come out of hiding and embrace the fullness of life that Jesus has for each of us. I thought AJ shared so helpfully about saying, actually, God doesn't want us to limp. He wants us to run. He's got great things for us. And actually, I think some of these things hopefully can help us take hold of all that God's got for us. So are you up for that? Good, it's good news. <laughs> so the first thing I guess to note is the woman's um, at the well at midday, at noon, hottest part of the day. So that would have been really unusual. Most people would go out to get water in the cooler parts of the day, so you know, first thing in the morning or last thing in the evening. So it's really interesting. Why is she hiding? Why has she gone to the well where she's probably not going to bump into anyone? And so I think firstly, we need to recognize that our instinct when we feel shame is to hide. And it's probably important to recognize as well that there can be a difference between that kind of sense of internal shame that we can have when we feel like we don't meet our own standards or our own expectations, um, and we can just sort of feel quite rubbish about ourselves, but also the kind of sense of shame that is amplified in the presence of others. You know, for me in that Zoom room, feeling like, oh, all these people are looking at me. Oh, I don't like it. I just want to go, go away. I just need to turn my video off. Or... The woman at the well, actually, I don't want to bump into anyone. I want to be here alone. She wasn't expecting to encounter Jesus. She went there because she thought there won't be anyone else around. So there is something about shame that causes us to hide. So what might hiding look like for us? What might it look like for you? Um, I think sometimes it can be difficult to find out what that is because it can be something that we have um, really hidden in our lives. It can be quite deeply ingrained and it can be formed over many years and kind of come in slightly under the radar. So I'd say for me, one of the things that I had spent a lot of time, and I've had some breakthrough in this over the last couple of years, but it's still a bit of a contested ground, is around kind of fear of rejection. So I would hide behind self-rejection. And so what I mean by that is, so if, if I thought someone was going to criticize me or say something negative, I would actually just criticize myself or put myself down because I could control that. I could sort of limit, it's a bit of kind of damage limitation. I'm like, actually, before somebody hurts me, I can just do it myself. And then I feel a bit more in control. And maybe you can recognize that in your life. Maybe you can feel like, oh, I always just say negative things about myself. Or I always just 
say, oh, I'm rubbish at that because I don't want anyone else to say it. And so if I say it, I'm more in control. The thing is, though, that is a defence mechanism. And the problem with it is it's quite effective. That's why we use defence mechanisms, is because they work. And to be honest, it worked. But I would say in my life, what I recognised is I just felt miserable. I just felt really rubbish about myself. And it began to erode my identity and who God had made me to be. I think also it just made me quite wary of other people and quite guarded around them because I didn't know what they were going to say. And maybe you will find that sometimes in conversations you might avoid having the conversations with people or being around people because you're worried what they might say. Or maybe for you it's pornography. Maybe you actually hide in a habitual behaviour where you might engage your imagination but in an unhealthy way. And you know really it distorts who God's made you to be and yet somehow it feels really compulsive and it feels like a place where you can hide and you use it to distract yourself from actually maybe confronting some of the issues beneath why you're engaging with it. Or maybe it's control. Maybe you feel this sense by wanting to hide behind what others think of you so you control a situation or you control what you think others think of you or you control how you think you want to be perceived. So you might just be really compliant and just do what other people want or what you think they expect of you because actually you want to be able to control how they feel about you. A bit like a chameleon, you can adapt really well to people or to situations because you know how you can get people to respond. And I think in that instance, often what you want is acceptance. But that sense of shame can mean you're trying to find it, but you're looking externally to find it rather than looking for acceptance of yourself and also looking for God's acceptance of you. So I guess the problem is that we try to cover ourselves and we do that often by hiding but we need to let God cover us and so rather than moving towards God and towards his love what we can end up doing is in that separation we can still turn away and be like this is my sin and shame and I don't want you to see it God I don't want you to see me and I don't want other people to see me a little phrase that's sort of been going around in my head the last couple of months is um I've got my own back and I feel like God's just been showing me that that's how I've been living like I've got my own back actually I can fight for me I can defend me I can protect myself I don't need you to do it God and I don't need anyone else to do it um and I think when we get into that place it's just really unhealthy because it's not how God's designed us to live and yet it can be this natural human reaction to want to control or to protect ourselves but there's this lovely promise in Psalm 91 that says he will cover you with his feathers he will shelter you with his wings his faithful promises are your armour and protection. And I think one of the realisations I've just come to is that I don't need to self-protect or defend myself. But I have to acknowledge my pride in that. My pride that says I want to. The pride in me that says it's not fair, like AJ was saying. Like, it's not fair. Or when you feel like, oh, I've been misrepresented or that isn't justified. Or I want to share my side of the story. Actually, can we in those moments surrender control and say, God... I want to give this to you. I want to allow you to protect me, you to defend me, you to cover me. I'm not going to try and do that myself. I think the second thing, once we acknowledge that we hide, is actually to understand that there are consequences to what we choose to hide behind. And I think one of the big consequences of that, certainly in my life, and maybe this resonates with you, is that fear often follows shame. Um, the passage that Claire spoke from the other week in Genesis, in the Old Testament, 
was um, a bit of dialogue between Adam and Eve in the garden after they've eaten the forbidden fruit. And Adam says to God, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. You know, why does Adam hide? Why in that moment does he turn away from God? He's aware of his condition. He's aware of his nakedness and his vulnerability. Actually, rather than bring it to God, he moves away through fear. I was afraid, so I hid. Why is the woman at the well hiding? Why is she there in the middle of the day? She's moving away from people. She doesn't, she's afraid, so she's hiding. Um, in my life, uh, back when I was probably only two years old, it became quite clear that I had quite a serious problem with anxiety and with fear. And it's been a massive journey that God's brought me on over the last sort of nearly 40 years, I suppose. Um, and it, it's been a painful one, actually, to confront some of those things that I've lived with for a long time and to let God in and to let God minister and to move in those places. But I think one area in particular that, um, or memory that I remember is when I was four years old, so it's like my first day at primary school, I remember being sick all the way along the school corridor. And I don't have really many other memories from when I was four, but that one I have because there was a sense of shame around it. And I remember they put newspaper all along the corridor. And I can still remember that now. Um, and I think shame it sort of almost stays in your body, doesn't it? It stays with you. Those experiences where you felt exposed or vulnerable or shamed, actually you remember them. But fear can take so many forms. And maybe what you recognize as fear in your life might seem actually quite subtle, a bit under the radar, but it could even be you know, not speaking up at work because of fear of people thinking you don't know what you're doing or they might think that your idea isn't very good. Or it might be fear of missing out. Actually, you feel like everyone else has got the best life, they're living the dream, and you feel like your life is just passing you by. It might be fear of failure. That's a big one for a lot of people, not wanting to step out or do something more in case it doesn't go well. Or it might be a failed relationship and fear of getting into a new one because the last one failed. It might be fear of being too much or fear of not being enough. Or maybe even fear of not being able to provide for your family. We need God to heal us and free us from fear, which can be so debilitating. And from lies that actually we've believed about him, but also lies that we've believed about ourselves and that we've begun to live out of. And I know for me, um, over sort of the last 10 years of God really bringing me on this journey, there was a song lyric um, by Stephanie Gretzinger. Some of you might have be familiar with it. It's um, called Come Out of Hiding. And it's really powerful. Um, Come out of hiding. You're safe here with me. You don't need to cover what I already see. You've got your reasons, but I hold your peace. You've been on lockdown, and I hold the key. And it really ministered to me in some times of my life that have just been really, really painful. But I think knowing that God understands and that he wants to cover me and he wants to protect me and that actually he wants to bring me out of hiding has been really powerful in my life. So what is the answer then? Because in some ways we can probably all be like, yep, yeah, I relate to that, yep, yeah, I hide, yep. Yeah. When I'm afraid, I do that. I retreat. I don't want to be around people. But um, how do we move beyond that? And in John chapter 4, verse 18, it says, God says perfect love drives out all fear. And I think the journey I've been on since I came to know Jesus about 23 years ago has been trying to let God love me. And I say trying because I've realized I'm so good at pushing God away or telling him why he shouldn't love me or... Um, Trying to earn his love is one that I think I spend a lot of my life doing and thinking that I need to do something for his approval or to be more worthy. 
Um, and there's this lovely quote by Philip Yancey. Um, I think it may go up. If not, I can read it. Um, oh, thank you. Grace means there is nothing I can do to make God love me more and nothing I can do to make God love me less. It means that even I, who deserve the opposite, am invited to take my place at the table in God's family. And I love that. I really love it. But it's hard to get your head around sometimes. Actually, that is grace. That I cannot make God love me anymore. And even as I was preparing this talk this week, I was just chatting to God about it. And I really felt like him say, you do realize that however it goes when you share Sunday night, whether it goes really well or really terribly, it will not change my love for you. My love for you is the same. And that might sound like a really small minor thing, but that is massive for me. Because I think performance orientation, that sense of trying to prove or to earn God's love or even other people's acceptance can be a massive thing for us and can cause us to hide because we don't want to confront that, that maybe that's something in us that needs dealing with. So let's go back to Jesus and the woman at the well. The last thing is that actually God calls us into life. He calls us to be people who carry his hope to the world and to be ministers to others. You know, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. You know, at that prayer ministry training day, they asked me, you know, what do you want prayer for? And to be honest, I didn't, I didn't really know them, and so I didn't really say. Um, so I just said something quite general. But actually, when they prayed for me, God really dealt with the heart of the issue. There were a couple of things, actually deeper things, that I needed him to deal with. And he knew what they were. And I think it's really good that the woman at the well, he wasn't afraid to confront where she was at. You know, you're right, you've had five, you've had five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. He doesn't try to gloss around where she's at in life or what's going on for her. But he doesn't want her to stay there either. He loves her to life and he calls her into more. And what the woman does next, I think, is amazing. She leaves her water jar, so she's gone to get water, but she leaves her water jar and she goes back to her village. And she tells them and she says to them, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Which is surprising, isn't it? Considering that she was there at the, the heat of the day trying to hide from everyone. After her encounter with Jesus, she's drawn to go back and to say, come and meet this man who told me everything I ever did. Actually, there's something about the encounter with Jesus that means that our shame is suddenly not the most dominant thing anymore. Actually, Jesus' love for her covers that shame and means she can go and tell this whole community, come and meet Jesus. And so many more people come to Jesus because of her testimony, because she goes to share. Because Jesus didn't go to the well for the water. He went for her. He went for the woman. And I think the fact it says woman and it doesn't say her name means we can see ourselves in that story. You know, he comes for us. He comes for those places in our lives that are broken, that are dirty, that we're ashamed of. He comes for those things in our past or the things in our present that actually we would rather not talk about or we would rather hide or move away from. Actually, he comes to bring us living water. And I think the power of the prophetic can be so amazing in doing that. And that's what happened to me at that prayer ministry training day. You know, when that person said to me, it's now time to live out from under the shadow, there was something in that that God began to sow in my heart. And I thought, right, God, what is the shadow? And what does it mean to live out from under it? What does it mean to not hide anymore behind it? Um, 
the woman at the well finds it really comforting actually that Jesus knows things about her, whereas it could have been quite exposing. But actually being seen and known when he has those words of knowledge about her, she finds it really, yeah, releasing and powerful. And I remember being at um, Boomtown Festival, big music festival a few years ago with Love Bristol. And we ran a, um, a venue called Elemental and we would just be open and allow people to come in and we'd just say, can we listen to God for you? Just want to bless you. And we had a few people come in and I remember these two women in particular and they sat down and I just shared what I felt God saying for them. And they said, how do you know these things about us? And I said, I don't, but God does. And he just wants to, to show that to you now because he wants you to know that he knows you, that he sees you and that he loves you. And it was just amazing. And then a bit later in the day, they came back and brought six of their friends. And we did the same thing again. And we sat around and we just shared and God spoke. And they were really amazed. And we got to share a bit of our faith. But I think there's something in the, when we can speak God's truth and call out in people what God's already put in them, actually where they feel seen and known by the God of the universe, that really draws others in because they wanted to go and get their friends because they're like, actually, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come and meet Jesus who, even though he knows everything about me, he still loves me. He still wants a relationship with me. Is the power of Jesus' love is greater than her shame and it brings her out of hiding. So I'm just going to share a little quote from um, a, a book by Pete Gregg. Um, who's like the set up 24-7 prayer. You might be familiar with him. And uh, the, the book is Dirty Glory. And it's a really encouraging book. I'm just rereading at the moment, all around testimony of, of prayer and how it's changed people's lives. Is it possible to have that one up? And it says this, Christ's response to a Samaritan woman with five husbands is a case study in transformation through acceptance. As a righteous Jew, he probably shouldn't have engaged this despised foreign woman in conversation and certainly shouldn't have allowed himself to be alone with her. Most definitely, he should not have asked her for a drink, but he reaches out to her, showing radical acceptance to someone who has been rejected again and again. Jesus certainly doesn't gloss over her sin. In fact, he deliberately exposes her shame with a provocative question, neither pretending nor condemning. Eventually, he commissions this despised woman as his witness, sending her home to share good news with the entire town. And I guess my encouragement tonight is that's what he wants to do with us. And I think on so many points in my journey, it would have been easy to just stop and look inward and kind of just almost be a sense of almost drowning in shame or drowning in a sense of, oh, I don't want to be like this. I want to be like them. You know, comparison as well is such a thief of joy, a feeling like if only I could just be a bit more like them, maybe God will love me. Maybe those people will accept me. But actually... Jesus wants to have an encounter with you, with each of us tonight. And he interrupts that cycle of shame for the woman in an everyday location, at a well where she's just getting water. And so it makes me think, how much more does Jesus want to just encounter us in the everyday things of life, wherever we find ourselves? But also, how much does he want to use us to minister and to bless the people we find and we meet in the everyday things of their lives? You know, whether that's at the gym or at work at the bus stop actually God wants to speak and wants to use us as well to to be that hope to the world so we'll just finish just yeah just having a little moment just to think what in your life at the moment do you think needs redeeming what where do you need to know more of God's grace and his mercy and maybe who is God calling you to call into life to call into a relationship with him like he used the woman and sent her back and a whole village came to know him through her 
witness. And I think, yeah, I just love us. We're going to lead into a bit of time ministering. I'm going to invite Dave up to see if he wants to share anything as well. But I would love to just draw your eyes to Jesus this evening. I think with whatever you're carrying or wherever you feel um, a bit stuck in your life, there is an opportunity for him to do something with it, for him to redeem it. Actually, he doesn't want to leave us stuck and hobbling on the road. He wants to restore us. And as I was praying about tonight, it was a real picture I had. It's actually Jesus wants to walk with us and restore us. And it's a journey. And I'm still on it, 10 years on from that prayer ministry training day. But I can really say that God can do that. And he wants to do that if we will let him. So, um, yeah, just as I end, I just wanted to talk a little bit into the wholeness course. Because that is, I think, a really powerful place where we can find the space for God to minister. And so it's not saying it's not important to sort our stuff out, but it's saying why not sort our stuff out and go on that journey with God so we can be the most effective we can be in being good news to the world around us as well.